Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Thank you so much, Al. What a, what a comparison. I'm the new iPhone. Come on, let's go. Um, well, good, good evening. Um, it's great to be with you. Um, as Al said, yes, my name is Robin, and I spend most of my time over in our West Ham location. So if you are ever that direction on a Sunday, do pop in to say, hey, it'd be great to have you there. But um, it's a real treat to be with you all today. And um, I want to start off, uh, if it's okay, with asking a bit of a personal, personal question to you all. Have you personally ever received a love letter? And, and I'm talking like pure filth. No, no, no. I, I'm like, have you ever, have you ever received, <laughs> have you ever received a love letter? Or let, let's, <laughs> I didn't say that to the families, no, no. Um, let's, let's calm it down. Have you ever received a letter of appreciation? How about that? A letter of appreciation, and, um, and maybe to make it more modern, have you ever received a nice text? Do you know what I mean? Just like a, a kind text, someone speaking well of you. Hopefully that's, hopefully that's kind of everyone. If not, we'll do some ministry for that at the end. But um, my bet is, if you have ever received a love letter, my bet is that, is that you, you treasured it. Particularly if you like the person who sent it to you. If not, you probably like, that's a bit creepy, but... Um, If you knew the person and you appreciated them in your life, you probably treasured that letter. It probably meant a lot to you and you probably probably examined it, right? You probably read it over and over and over again. You read between the lines. What could they possibly have meant when they said that? Well, I'm a very sentimental guy. This is my favorite boots. Um, No, 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 this is... Inside are all the love letters, my wife and, and close friends. Look at that. We are three today. That's a nice one, actually. But anyway, I'm a very sentimental guy. And so I've kept almost every love letter my wife has ever sent to me. And we've only been together like a year, so it's quite intense. Um, and that, again, again, sorry, sweetie, sorry. <laughs> It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. We are Christians, but it's not true. All right. So anyway, this letter, this letter is a personal favorite. This one was actually given to me on the wedding. Oh, sorry, on the morning of my my wedding. And again, it was addressed from from Kaz. Again, that'd be really weird. Um, This was a letter from Kaz on the morning of our wedding. And this letter kind of hurts me to say this, but this letter is actually, it's worthless, it's an envelope. It's some paper that's been torn out of a notebook with a bit of ink on it. It's completely worthless. It's probably like give or take 3p. But the message within it, what it communicates to me, as far as I'm concerned, it's completely priceless. This means everything to me. I would pay every penny I could ever earn to keep this. And yet, if Kaz wrote in such a way that I couldn't understand it would lose all its meaning. I wouldn't be filled with the love that she's, she's trying to fill me with when I read this letter. And it's the same concept with the Bible. The Bible worth probably, average Bible, 20, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, something like that. It's not an awful lot. 
But yet within it, there is a message that can transform the entire world, that can shape your entire life. But the only problem is, Kaz didn't write it. I don't really understand much of it. It's quite complicated. And so unless we decide to make time to examine it, to treasure it, to read it over and over again, to read between the lines, to think about the author, what, what could they possibly have meant when they said that? Unless we do that, we can be in danger of missing out on what God intended us to be filled with when we read his love letter to us. And so that is partly why we as a church were going through the book of Ephesians to kind of help better understand what that letter is trying to say to us today. And so the book of Ephesians is written by this bloke called Paul. Has anyone ever read any of Paul's letters? Yeah, a decent amount. Anyone ever understood Paul's letters? We've all a couple of, oh, let's chat at the end, please. Um, now, if you don't understand Paul, you're in good company. Not only do I stand with you, but even one of the disciples, Peter, will stand with you. In 2 Peter 3.16, hopefully come up on the walls behind me. So in God breathes scripture, it says this. Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Skip on a few verses and it says this. Some parts of his letters are hard to understand. If you ever want to be comforted that you don't quite understand the Bible, the Bible itself says, hey, <laughs> good luck, it's hard. But theologian Gretchen Ronovic, she, she helps us trying to understand a bit of Paul. She kind of summarizes all of his letters into five key themes. So Paul can be summed up like this. Grace, I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel. For the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. And Timothy, he says hi. That kind of sums up Paul. Grace, I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel. And for the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. And Timothy, he says, hi. That kind of helps sum up Paul. But for us today, we are looking in uh, the book of Ephesians. So if you've got a Bible, grab, grab your Bible, open up to the book of Ephesians. Um, if you're like me and, and like a, the new iPhone, uh, grab that. Um, and turn to chapter 4. Chapter 4. And um, it will also come up on the screens behind me. So chapter 4. Uh, try to read along if you can. Um, I, I am a little bit dyslexic, so please do f forgive me when I, if I, I will read things wrong, so just go along with it. So um, in, in, we're going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Then we're going to skip to 18 to 24, just so we can kind of get a, a good sweep of that chapter. So it reads this. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Skipping down to uh, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, 
they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, it's strange if I wasn't honest with you, but I'm going to be honest with you. Love Paul. Love this guy. What a great guy. <laughs> what, a, what a good egg. But I can't say I'd want to go for a drink with him. Do you get that vibe? Like, I feel like it wouldn't be like chat. I get that vibe. It's not going to be an easy time. It's, you've got to make time like, mentally to hang out with Paul. But there is, there is an urgency for this message he's writing to this church in Ephesus. And I believe there is an urgency for us to understand what he's saying today. Basically, to summarize this chapter, Paul calls us to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Essentially, in, in, in our kind of usual uh, uh, kind of words we use today, he's saying that the way you live, it matters. The way you live, it matters. And the calling that Paul is talking about, it's not that individual calling that you have all been charged with. But rather, it's a calling that we have all received. We have all received the calling to live a life worthy of the gospel. The calling is the, the calling into the gospel. The calling we have all received is the calling to follow Jesus. To do that, it matters how you live. And Paul goes on. He says, to, uh, he calls us to be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It matters how you act. He says that you are to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds. It matters how you think. And so to be a people who follow Jesus, to these people in Ephesus and to you, today. It matters how you live, it matters how you act, and it matters how you think. I'm sounding a bit like Paul here. He's been, chill out, mate. But Paul is writing like this. He's writing like this, because the church he's, he's writing to, for the, the context, and this will sound a little bit like common sense, the church he's writing to, none of them have been Christians before. Ever thought about that? They've never even been a part of a church before. They haven't even met another Christian. They're like first generation, iPhone one. And I guess that, that is, that's the problem for Paul. They've never been Christians before, but however, they've all been a part of religious groups before. They aren't strangers to worship. They know what it is to follow gods and idols. 
for these people, there's no historical or cultural foundation in their understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. But for all of them, they have their own understanding of what it means to worship God. They all have an understanding of what it means to be part of a, a religious group. The, the city of Ephesus, which is where the church is that he's writing to. It was known as the epic center of all Greek and Roman gods. Paul refers to it in the book of Acts as Ephesus was a city of gods made by human hands. Essentially, that if, if you, in this time, if you were looking for a, a certain god or idol or a temple to worship in, it would be found in this city. And we also read of Paul's first account in, in Ephesus and actually in the book of, of uh, Acts. We read that it was a city consumed with witchcraft and sorcery. And so Paul is writing to a church full of these kind of people. And he's having to say, forget everything you think you know about worship. Forget everything you think you know about sacrifices. Forget everything you think you know about how to conduct your life around this, uh, your gods that you've worshipped previously. But now actually, if you want to follow Jesus, it matters how you live. It matters how you act. It matters how you think. For up until this point, to these people, to follow a god or gods, it was a religious ritual. It wasn't a renewal from the inside out. In uh, 2004, there was the Athens Olympic Games. Anyone there? It's a grab, I'll admit. Just, it, would just be, it would just be cool if there was. No, never mind. Uh, in 2004 was the Athens Olympic Games. And during it, American rifle shooter Matt Emmons was having the games of his life. He was, um, he was doing the rifle shooting and he got himself into a position where um, essentially the crowd loved him. He was the favorite to win and everyone just knew about this guy and taking photos of him on, on the iPhone or whatever it was, iPhone probably two at the time. This is a really, I've got, I'm milking this joke. Anyway, um, and basically this guy, he got himself into such a position that on his final shot, all he had to do was hit the target anywhere. Hit the board, gold medal, guaranteed. And so this guy, he, he, and he was obviously ex extremely experienced, so he, he calmed his nerves, took a breath. The crowd respected him, they went quiet, and he pulled the trigger. And he hit the perfect bullseye. And the crowd go crazy, everyone's cheering, and he's like, he finally starts to breathe, everyone's relaxing and taking photos, there's confetti, everything, he, he got the gold. And then he kind of, Emmons looks up and he kind of sees there's no flashing of the lights. When the ball gets hit, the lights flash and the scoreboard comes up. The judge is also confused. So the judges come down and inspect his, his rifle. Did, did, did it work all right? They check the scoring system. Did, did it go off? Everything's in, in place. What it turned out to be was, it was a perfect shot, but at the wrong target. <laughs> he was in standing in lane two and he shot the target in lane three. Poor Matt, poor Emmons. Poor Emmons. <laughs> Essentially, it was, a, it was a, executed perfectly, but he completely missed the mark. And it's that kind of Christianity that Paul is warning against. Living a life that is executed perfectly, yet you can still completely miss the point. And I fear that if I let this book, if I let this letter examine my life, it would come to a similar conclusion. Robin, you lived that Christian life perfectly, but you, you missed the point. 
We can all live these perfect Christian lives. We can attend church. We can pray regularly, read scripture daily, serve on every team, give 10%, tell others about Jesus. But at the end of the day, as far as Paul is concerned, if we aren't living a life worthy of the gospel that you have received and you are invited to live within, then you're completely missing the mark. And Paul is super clear what it means to walk in that calling. Paul is super clear what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. And he writes this to every church he writes to. In, in the book of Ephesus, he writes this, to put off your old self and be made new in the attitudes of your mind. To be made new in the attitudes of your minds. To the church in Rome, he writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in Colossians, he writes, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. There is something about our minds that is central to the gospel. There is something about our minds that is central to what it means to call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It matters how you live. It matters how you act. It matters how you think. It wasn't that long ago when the British astronaut, Tim Peake, he went to the International Space Station. And uh, he uh, obviously, went on his return, had hundreds of interviews. Everyone wanted to talk to Tim Peake. And uh, one interview kind of grabbed my attention. The interviewer asked him, okay, Tim, tell us, tell us everything there is to know, the ins and outs about NASA. And he says, you, it's, everything isn't good. Everything isn't okay. Everything is perfect. NASA is perfect. Nothing is left to chance. Every eventuality is calculated. And everything is scheduled. You're on one schedule, something goes wrong, you go on to the next schedule, that is completely perfect. You're along that one, if that one goes wrong, you move on to the next schedule, that is completely perfect. Everything is perfect, nothing left to chance. He goes on to say that eventually I got to the space station, up in space, and he said that every single schedule had the same thing at a certain time. First thing you did when you got into space, it was something scheduled called all time. All time. And essentially, NASA knew that any astronaut sent up wouldn't be able to do a thing. It doesn't matter what their mission is, how experienced they are, what simulations they've done, they wouldn't be able to do a thing until they've looked out the window and stood in awe at creation. And it's that kind of attitude that Paul is crying for us to have in our very minds to set our minds on the things that are above. And to do that is to let the very core of our being, in our very minds, stand in awe of the Creator. What is it about our minds that Jesus longs to draw near to? Why can't we just live a good life? <laughs> well, I think it comes back to a love letter. Their worth isn't in their material. Their appreciation isn't in their appearance. But rather the value is found because it is an honest and raw and emotional thing 
and we like these letters, it's in that place that God longs to draw near to you. God doesn't want our outward works or outward appearances, but rather he wants to encounter you in your most honest, vulnerable, raw state. He invites you, not, not your talents and the things you can kind of provide, but he wants your very mind, your very heart, you at your most core. It's in our minds that we kind of keep our secrets. We can convince anyone around us. It doesn't matter how close you are. We can convince them with all that we like, how we're doing, what life's like. But we can't lie in our own minds. We can't keep secrets from our own minds. And it's there that God longs to draw near because he wants to be close to you. And when we invite him into that space, he doesn't come in trying to change who we are, but rather he slowly and gently shows us who we are not, transforming our minds, renewing our minds, setting our minds on the things that are above. Not changing who you are, but revealing who you are not. When we stand in awe at him, I'm guilty of living a Christian life and yet I, I, I don't spend time with the creator, standing at awe at him. The Christian life, it starts, yes, by sitting at the feet of Jesus. We looked at that last week. It starts by sitting at the feet of Jesus, but it is lived out by walking in the calling you have received. To live a life worthy of the good news. To live a life where you give all that you are to him. And that's hard. That's a challenge. And that's something we have to do daily. That's something we have to schedule in all time. And so I wonder if I can pray for us. And I wonder if you become comfortable standing right now. And um, what I'd love to pray for is it can be challenging hearing someone saying it matters how you Live, it matters how you act, it matters how you think. That kind of sums up everything you do. And the truth is, it's not between me and you. It's, it's between you and Jesus. He longs to draw near to you. He wants to be involved, not just in the ins and outs of work, but in the very core of your mind. To renew you there. Again, not to change you, to scare you, but to show you who you aren't. Become more of who you are meant to be. And so if you feel comfortable, why don't you put your hands out just as a posture. The whole thing is all about the inner posture, but it's a sign to your own body. I am preparing myself to hear from God. So Holy Spirit, will you come again? We acknowledge your presence has been here today. We acknowledge your presence has been here in this service. But will you come again, afresh to us? Will you point out areas in our lives that we have avoided to bring you in? And we do that gently. Come, Holy Spirit. And speak freely. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.